It's an incredible uh, privilege to be with you here. Uh, as Graham introduced me, my name is Andrew, and uh, I'm here with my wonderful wife, Rebecca Gibson Wade. And uh, we've got three beautiful kids. Miranda, who's nine, Joe, who is six, and Ben, who is three. And Ben's currently in the stage where he wants to call the shots around the house. So thankful, Graham, for your friendship and for the support. And uh, it's a great privilege to uh, be here. I've got to say, I've got a little bit of beard envy. Um, you know, we've got Graham, we've got Josh, we've got Robbo uh, up the back, who's got the most magnificent beard. And so I'm a last minute call up. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be disappointed. I don't have a beard. I'm not as good looking as Graham. I think Graham has some Thor-like qualities about him in terms of his physique. Uh, not not uh, Infinity. Uh, well, Endgame. Not Endgame. Probably more Infinity Wars, um, if, if we're being specific. And so then you've got me, a little bit about me. Uh, it is State of Origin night. Thank you, Ian, uh, for wearing that wonderful jersey representing. I'm a big fan uh, love Queensland, love the Broncos. I like to watch kind of big guy sports and then I like to involve myself in skinny guy sports, which is soccer and cycling. And so that's a little bit about me. And uh, it's great to be here. I want to show you uh, a picture of somebody. Uh, and this is just a representation of uh, City Lights and our heart for the city and uh, for people. This guy's name is Reggie. And if you were here, I spoke a couple of uh, weeks ago a little bit about Reggie. I met Reggie on a park bench in Ashgrove. And uh, at that specific time, I was there for a, a lunch appointment. I thought I'd get there a little bit early, walk around, pray a little bit, got there 20 minutes early. I had five minutes to go. I saw this guy sitting on a park bench and uh, being, you know, in the position that I that I'm in, I thought, you know, I've got five minutes. I might as well just go and say good day. So I, I sat down, kind of, you know, like, do you mind if I sit here? He was over there and over the table, he was on his phone. And um, I just said, hey, what's your name? My name's Andrew. You know, what do you do? He works in a bank. He said, what do I do? Oh, I'm planning a church. I said, would you like to come? Uh, I don't think he said anything. Um, <laughs> I said, look, I've got to go, but I'd love to catch up with you can I have your mobile phone number and so I got his mobile phone number and we had lunch um, that next week and as we are talking and he, he still comes to our church by the way um, and he drives from uh, out past Springfield to come and he said to me he was in a really really low part in his life 
this afternoon he'll be sharing uh, his story in our community. He said uh, he's just recently divorced. He's got four kids, the youngest of which is two. The oldest is 11. And he lost everything. He had a house. He's lost his house uh, financially. And he said, I was sitting there on that bench thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And then you came along and you seem like a positive person. And for me, that's incredibly humbling. I couldn't have orchestrated that by myself. But it's just a symbol that the Holy Spirit wants to use us and our willingness to go beyond ourselves to make a real impact in people's lives. And I've got to have a couple of conversations with Reggie and uh, he... Uh, is from Zimbabwe and probably about 20 years ago he he uh, in youth group in his teenage years uh, he did follow Jesus but that was a long time ago and so I just kind of sit with him and we catch up and I say hey Reggie you know like maybe you should start praying again and okay you know he goes and then the next week I'm like hey Reggie you're in the car a lot maybe you should listen to some Christian music I'll send you some worship albums so I send him some links and then, you know, as we catch up, a couple of weeks later, he, he says to me, he says, that stuff works. He says, Pastor Andrew, that stuff works. And he started to dream again. And he, he told me that at that particular time in his life, he was sleeping a long time, but always waking up tired. And he couldn't concentrate. And this is kind of really uh, surprising, but he said to me that even... After that first time that we met, in the morning, he couldn't concentrate on his work. And in that afternoon, something changed in his life. And it's not me, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is released through me. And I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit wants to be released through all of us. And he wants to encourage us and he wants to stir us up. And so our vision for our church is that as we grow that we'll have many, many more stories like Reggie's. And uh, that's how we want to grow. We want to have other people coming up to me, not just all rely on me saying, hey, I met this person or this person's at my workplace and I've started to uh, share with them about Jesus. I've started to encourage them. I've started to disciple them. And so that is our heart and our vision for City Lights. So today uh, I want to have a conversation about... The topic of uh, the topic which is called follow, and I want to talk about what it means to follow the way of Jesus and overcome the barriers that might be in our way. We want to follow the way of Jesus and overcome the barriers that might be in our way. Now, in our society, uh, the term follow has become in a lot of ways nominal, so I can follow Graham. And I can do that and I can have a sense of following him by liking him or friending him on Facebook, flicking through a couple of his pictures, kind of like, you know, liking the photo, half reading the caption, giving it a like, maybe, um, you know, some kind of a emoticon if I'm feeling particularly generous on that day and have a lot of time to spare. And so that is what the idea of follow can mean for some of us. But what we're talking about is what each of us are called to, to actually follow Jesus, to imitate Jesus, to, dare I say the word, obey Jesus. 
and to invite others to do the same. So as part of this conversation that uh, I've been having with some different people and in some different spaces, I've asked this question, what barriers have you experienced or observed in the path of following Jesus? So I've put that out there. I've contacted a number of people. I don't know if you've thought about that recently. And if I was to ask you that question, what barriers have you experienced or observed in others to following Jesus? I don't know what your response would be. Here are some of the responses that I got back. They're unfiltered. Um, what, the first one is, I don't feel worthy. I'm not good enough. Sin is too great. I'm too busy. Christianity is just, just a crutch. It stops me from doing what I want. Another one said, a failure to understand just how bad sin actually is. The other one says, to follow Jesus is a pretty huge challenge to our sense of autonomy. Trusting Jesus with our sins is easy. Trusting him with our desires is hard. It's a fear of being vulnerable because of shame, perfectionism, and an inability to trust. Afraid of lifestyle being challenged or changed. Lack of scientific proof. Worry about what others think. Perception that Christianity is uh, negative and has intellectual issues with science and suffering and bad morality. Guilt, not feeling good enough. Control, familiarity, unbelief, pride, difficulty breaking patterns of sinful behavior, intellectual doubts and questions, clash with modern ideologies, doing things out of self-interest. The question, what is truth? His truth isn't my truth and I don't want to be told what to do. And so this is a pretty amazing and fundamental conversation for us to engage with what is stopping us from following Jesus. And I want us to read together a passage of scripture from John chapter 1. And if you are thinking about studying and uh, the idea of discipleship and following Jesus, I believe that this particular passage is one of the most pregnant passages. And when I say pregnant, I don't just mean, you know, pregnant, human kind of pregnant with like one baby, of oh, babies amazing, or even twins. I mean like spider pregnant or like alien pregnant. And what I mean by that is there are just so many different thoughts and concepts and there's just so much within this particular passage of Scripture. I would love for you to turn with me and I'd love to read that. So if you have that on a device or a physical Bible, we're turning to John 1, 35. We're going to read a little bit of Scripture together. I hope that's okay. John 1, 35. We're going to be reading to uh, verse 51. So I'll just give you a moment just to find that on your device or on a physical Bible, if that still exists in a modern day church. It does. Amen. Thank you, sister. Altar calls come early. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. John 1, 35. The next day, John was there with two of his disciples. So this is John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. 
So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, said You are Simon, son of Job. You will be son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And as I said, there is so much in this particular passage about discipleship and about following Jesus. There's actually so much in here about Jesus and the nature and character of Jesus. There's actually, I count, nine different names or titles that Jesus is called in this particular passage. Maybe something to make a note of and look at during the week. There's three questions that we ask Jesus that are found here. And this is particularly relevant if you're looking to disciple somebody or you're looking to help someone take some steps of faith. I believe that these are the three questions that people ask. I'm just going to give them to you really quick. The first one question we ask Jesus, where can I find you? The second one we ask is, who are you? And the third one, which surprised me a little bit as I was studying, but I think it's very true, is this question, how do you know me? I think it's a fundamental question to discipleship. How do you know me? And so three questions there. And there's a number of invitations, but the central invitation that Jesus makes is this one, follow me. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be there in some of these moments where Jesus was calling people, actually calling people to leave their families, to leave their careers, to leave their social circles, to leave their possessions, to actually follow him. Could you imagine what that would have been like? And can you, and and we know that the, the results of that are amazing. In Acts uh, chapter 17, I believe it is, these disciples, these same people who were very raw, who were called to follow Jesus, they are accused of turning the world upside down. These people actually changed the face of the planet. Now, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, it is impossible to deny the effect that Jesus has had on the planet. And most Christians, most of us here, myself included, 
We want to follow Jesus. That's our desire. We, we're here, most of us, because we've decided to take that step to follow Jesus in some way or at some time in our, in our life. And we start out strong, but also most of us have experienced or are experiencing this idea or this thought or this sensation of being stuck. We want to follow Jesus, but we're stuck and we can't move forward. And I believe there are two types of stuck, and I'm going to talk about one of them today. Two types of stuck. The first one is monkey stuck. And the second one is elephant stuck. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen or on a documentary how they catch monkeys in some parts of Africa or also in India. And what they do is, and I've got a little demonstration here. It is my son tried to eat these almonds. I chose almonds because I didn't have M&M's. And also because kale flakes or kale crisps would have been a little bit messier. Um, that was a joke, but no one laughed. That's awkward. So this is the process, how to catch a monkey. So you've got some nuts, you put them in there. In Africa, they put them in a hollowed out tree. In India, they would get a coconut and they would cut it and they would chain it to a pole. And so what they do is they entice the monkey and the monkey puts its hand in because it really wants these nuts. Because it's fixated on these nuts. And then, because the monkey cannot get its hand out, because its fist is clenched, the monkey becomes trapped. And so, what would happen and what has happened over the generations, sometimes monkeys can be captured... And many times, a lot of times, monkeys can be actually killed because they're stuck. They've got their hand in here. And they became trapped by the shape of their own hand. So literally for me, this is no joke, I, ca I cannot, the only way that I can get my hand out of here is actually, I should have tried this before actually. No, it's all right. It's all good. It's all good. We didn't need a hammer, but we've got one in Beck's handbag. No, that's not true. Everything else is true, but that's not true. We don't have a hammer in here. And so you see, the monkey is not trapped by anything physical. It's trapped by a desire. And I want to say, and this is a, might be a little bit confronting for you and me, I know it is for me, this is us. This is us in our human condition. This is us, and this is what for many of us and for most of us keeps us stuck in our journey and our desire to follow Jesus. Because we're holding on so tight to things that we define our life by. The monkey is saying, I need food, I need these nuts to live. If I don't have these nuts, I'm going to die. This is how I get my life. And this is what we do in our lives. We do the same thing. Our fists are so clenched. These are things that I define my life by. 
We say, I want the right to choose. I want the right to choose what's good for me. I want to be comfortable. I want my stuff. I want my material possessions. I've got this need to be liked. I've got this need for people's approval. I've got this need for social status. I've got this need for security. I don't want to change. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to open up to people. And so what we do in this moment is we clench our fist and we hold on tight. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, Andrew, come and follow me. And, and we're saying, I can't, I'm trapped. I want to, but I'm trapped. And Jesus says, what are you, what are you trapped by? He's like, you're like, isn't it obvious, Jesus? I'm, I'm trapped here in this trap, this thing that has stuck me. And at a deeper level, what we're actually saying in this exchange is we're saying to Jesus, I don't believe you've got my best interests at heart. I'm afraid to be vulnerable. I'm afraid to lose control. I'm afraid what other people will think of me. I don't want anyone else calling the shots in my life. I want to do that. That's my right, right? I don't want to change anything. I'm waiting for others to change before I change. Like, I mean, if this church community could get its act together and if we could get some real stuff happening here, then, then, my, then my discipleship journey could accelerate. And this is what we say. We say, Jesus, I want a quiet life without too many challenges. I don't want something that stops me from being successful and achieving my goals. I don't want something that costs me too much. I want to please myself and not others. I don't want to lose myself. I love this quote from Craig Rochelle. He says, shame is when your past pain becomes your present identity. Some people, not by their own fault many times, but have been so hurt and so wounded that that has become, that hurt and that shame has become their identity. And to let go of that would be to let go of who they are in such a significant way that it's very, very challenging for them. And we say, Jesus, I don't want to stop the good things in my life. Here's another one. We say, Jesus, the sin feels bad. The result of what I've done feels bad. But the sinful desires, they feel pretty good. I like those. I probably want those to hang around a little bit. I don't want to, you know, do the bad stuff. But thinking about it, hmm, I'm okay with that. And we're not willing to let go. This is how Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 16, 24. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. 
Jesus here, he's not being controlling. He's just being incredibly pragmatic. He's just, if you picture the monkey holding on to the nuts and people are coming along with the purpose of killing that animal and eating it, this is the picture. Jesus is saying, hey, if you hold on to this stuff, you're going to die. And so the best thing that I can encourage you to do is to live with eternity in mind and to let go and actually follow me. So he's not trying to uh, force us or coerce us. He's just inviting us to let go of the things that we're so fixated upon in order to take a step and follow him and live like him. You know, in that passage of John, I said there was three questions that we ask Jesus. There's one question that he asks us, which I believe is the most significant question for discipleship. And that question is in verse 38. He says to them, what do you want? This is the most significant, in my opinion, and the fundamental question of what it means to follow Jesus. There's an author by the name of uh, James Smith who says, we are what we want. Our desires, what we want, shape what we love and ultimately what we do. And our desires determine our direction and our loves lead us. In the Bible, the human heart is defined as more than just our emotions, as we would probably uh, think of it. It is the combination of our mind and our will and our emotion. And it goes much deeper even to this, you know, touching on what some of what we explore is your gut feeling. There's a, a Greek word that uh, Paul uses, I believe it's called splachna, I think, which is this idea that it's something, these deep-seated thoughts and desires within us. And Tim Keller says, the human struggle happens within a single entity, the human heart. The main human struggle is not between the heart and something else, but between forces that tear us in different directions. And this is what's happening in our journey to follow Jesus. We've got this agitation within us between, if we ask ourselves, what we really want. Maybe not we, what we say we want, but what we really want. So real quick, just say that we wanted to make a change, which I believe that in some way every person here wants to do that. How would we get unstuck? To change our direction, we need to change our desires. And to change where life is leading us, we need to change our love. And real quick, we don't have a lot of time to go through this. What we need to do that is more than knowledge. Like knowledge is good, but we need more than knowledge. Who's ever heard the term, you know better? You've said that. But why did you do that? You know better. You know better. Just thinking or knowing or having the logic of something doesn't mean that we'll do it. There's a common and popular saying in addiction recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous and a number of other different programs. It says this, your best thinking got you here. 
Your best thinking got you here. What was incredibly logical to you, what you actually did in the moment, that is why you're in this predicament. Now, I'm not talking about us being anti-intellectual. I do believe in studying the Word of God. But I'm just saying what we need is more than knowledge and what we actually need is a change of heart. And so you could say it this way, following Jesus is more about reformation than information. A reforming, a change of the heart. And Jesus invites us to be attentive and intentional about what we love. Attentive and intentional. He has an interest in our desires and he has, he's a teacher who just doesn't inform our intellect but forms our very loves. He teaches us how to love well. And that's what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as your strength. If you want to summarize my teaching, this is how you do it because that's what I'm all about. Let me give you three quick points. This is a a big conversation that I encourage you to continue to have with somebody in this community and talk about it, maybe read that passage together. There's so much in there uh, still to be discovered and uncovered. But real quick, three things that we can do to start this journey of changing our heart. The first thing that we need to do is a heart check. We need to have an audit. We need to be a little bit more real about what's actually going on with us below the surface. We need to be vulnerable with God and sometimes with people that we trust, that are spiritual uh, around us. We need to be vulnerable with God about the current state of our heart and our desires. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So when we go to the Word of God, which is the living Word of God, we're actually going there in a place of vulnerability and say, hey, as I hold this up, as I hold up this image of Jesus that's reflected in the Word, As I look to Jesus, what is that saying about me? Not to condemn me, but to give me a path to follow and to step out. First thing you need to do is a heart check. The second thing you need to do um, is repent. And uh, I don't know, I was thinking of a fancier way to say that. But I believe for every believer that repentance needs to be part of our everyday not because we're low and we're, we're groveling and we have to kind of make our way back up. But it's this simple act of humility that says, hey, i got stuff in me, God, that's it's not good. And repentance at its heart is a transformation of the heart. And so I can't do that by myself. But if I come in a place of humility to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you help with my heart? I've recognized my desire for this is not good. My thought for this is not good. Where I'm spending my attention, my energy, it's not good. Could you help me with that? It's really, really simple, but really powerful. And I believe, at least in my experience, that repentance is something that 
is not practiced as much as it could be and should be to see a change in our hearts. The third one is what I'm calling practicing the way of Jesus. I think this is a really, really good way to describe who we are as believers and who we are as Christians. Because it's easy to put the sticker on that says, I'm a Christian. But what Jesus is really calling us to do is practice the way of Jesus. To imitate Jesus. To, again, hold up the word and say, are my words aligning with the words of Jesus? Are my ways aligning with the ways of Jesus? Are my works aligning with the works of Jesus? And when we do that, I find that that's incredibly energizing and that should be our goal as we look to become followers of Jesus. It's about imitating Jesus. I do also want to say that there is no imitation without intimacy. It's not a theological pursuit or an intellectual pursuit. It's spending time with God. And it's also imitating others around you. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And as I was reflecting upon this and the Holy Spirit was challenging me with a few things that I need to let go of, one of the things that I needed to let go of was cynicism. And in parts and at times I've judged other people uh, in the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit saying, hey, don't do that because what I want you to actually do instead is see God in them to allow that person to become a blessing to you and an encouragement to you and say, hey, oh, you know, what I see in you, Josh, Josh, I want to imitate that. The way that, the way that you love God, the way that you love your family, I want to imitate that. I want to follow that. Man, you've been such an encouragement to me. And I think that's part of what God wants us to practice. Let's pray together, huh? And uh, I just want to share and invite a little bit of a response. My encouragement today is for us to continue to answer the call to follow Jesus, not by intensity or effort, but by imitation and intimacy, a reformation of our heart and our loves, because we have eternity in mind. And so today, just uh, as I was speaking, if you feel, uh, just encourage everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, if you feel like you're a little stuck in your walk and you're holding on to some things, you've got that clenched fist really tight and you want to break through in that area, you want the presence of the Holy Spirit just to be that oil, just to guide you and lead you, if that's you, would you be bold enough to respond as an act of faith and just put your hand up wherever you are? I'd just love to pray for you really quickly. Yeah, thank you. There's hands going up all across. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for those that have responded. Your desire is that we would be free in every possible sense, free to follow you. And Lord, you haven't called us to lack. You've actually called us into kingdom abundance. That everything, every good thing you have planned and prepared for us. And so right now we pray you'd release the power of your Holy Spirit. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission. For further information,
information about Cornerstone Christian Resources, please visit the Cornerstone.